0: daughter had to run. And Shabbat Shalom! Greetings to the 12 tribes scattered abroad. Baruch Hashem, Yahuwah. Greet one another in the chat and give us some thumbs up. And if you haven't yet subscribed to our YouTube ministry channel, then Right now is the appropriate time to do it. It doesn't take much. You know, just a little click, a little subscription. Anyway, we're blessed. You're blessed. If you're here, you're blessed because that means you are part of the restoration of all Israel in these days. We're in the introduction, part C, because we had a little technological discrepancy last week. So we're in part C of the introduction to the book of Yeshayahu in the Hebrew, the book of Isaiah. I'm super excited to be introducing this time for us to spend together. So bless one another and greet one another. And if you're watching this a little bit later, then you can also put some comments down in the comments section. And I want to thank all of you for those that do support the ministry with the giving of your tithes and offerings. Thank you so much. You can also go down into the description below this teaching and see how you can give and see how you can learn by going to to TorahToTheTribes.com. Let's turn to the book of Yeshayahu, Isaiah, and we look at this third introduction, part C here, the vision of Yeshayahu. Yeshayahu, his Hebrew name, of course, in the anglicized version, Isaiah. The vision of Yeshayahu, the son of Amos, which he saw concerning Yehuda. And Yerushalayim. In the days of Uziyahu, Yotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah, Melachim of Yehuda. We're looking at the introduction. This vision, we see Uzziah, the king, who got leprosy, clarification from last week. We have Jotham, we have Ahaz, and we have. Hezekiah, the kings of Judah in the time. Now, this vision spanned 50 years. 50 years this vision spanned. It's interesting, and I do want to bring this out. The Hebrew word for vision here is chazon. chazon and it's spelled chet, zayin, vav, noon, sofit. And it defines Yeshayahu, Isaiah's writings, as one from beginning to end. And why is that so important? Well, I'm going to get to that. The vision, Chazon, spell Chet, Zayin, Vav, Nun, Sophie defines Isaiah's writing as one from beginning to end. Now remember last week, just a recap on last week, we spoke to the keys to coming out of the natural man and ascending into self mastery and that was kind of kind of be the theme as we go through the book of Isaiah, and that I was going to give you an interpretation, an application, and a pattern. Because at the end of the day, the reason that we're in the scripture is so that we can change ourselves and then we can change the world. We can change ourselves and then we can change the world. That's what Yahushua taught, that we take the whopping massive log out of our own eyes so that we can see clearly, so that we can help others and we can affect change. And we have to deal with ourselves first before we can go out and change the world. That is grasping hold of self-mastery. We need interpretation. We need application. And we need pattern. I want to talk about four things in today's introduction. First of all, dealing with discontent. Number one. Dealing with discontent. Have you ever been discontent? Have you ever been discontent? Have I ever been discontent? Dealing with discontent. Number two, we're going to be viewing Isaiah's writings as one. Number two, we're going to be viewing Isaiah's writings as one. And number three, we're going to be looking at the heresy of of modern scholarship when it comes to the book of Isaiah. Number three, we're going to be looking at the heresy of modern scholarship when it comes to the book of Isaiah. And finally, number four, we're going to be looking at what it means to be speaking to heaven or speaking to earth. Listen, O heavens, listen, have ear, O earth. Are we speaking to heaven or are we speaking to earth? So, Scripture is informing us of our nature. Scripture is informing us of our nature. And unless we understand our nature, we will never master ourselves. I don't care how many times or how many hours you sit in a field and try and meditate and try and still your mind, try and clear your mind, or try and do any of those Eastern mystical things that this world promotes. If you come from the philosophies of the schools of those Eastern religions, where they believe that you were born sinless and then you learn what sin is... Or maybe they don't even believe in sin and the fallen nature. You will never ever gain self-mastery. Because scripture informs us of our nature. That the first man sinned and he was our best example. He was the best that we could put forward. And we are all descendants of that and we have inherited sin from Bereshi, the beginning. And that the only road to redemption is through the redemptive work of Mashiach. And when we have that understanding, which the scripture informs us of, then we can change our nature. Because our nature can only be changed or transformed by the washing of the word. Not Philo, Sophie the love of wisdom, but the washing of the word. So scripture is informing us of our nature. And like us, Israel was not easily content with their circumstances. Were they ever content with their circumstances? Was Israel ever content with their circumstances? We're dealing with a people of discontent. We're dealing with discontentment. Let's do a quick recap of the history of Israel. And it will be quick because that's a long history. But let's do a quick recap and let me show you how Yahweh is trying to teach us about our natural man through the history of Israel and how discontent our natural man is. How discontent he is with his circumstances. "'Hear, O Shamain, and listen, O earth, for Yahweh has spoken. "'I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. "'The ox knows his owner, and the donkey his master's crib. "'But, O oh, Israel does not know me. "'My people have not understood me.' O oh, sinful nation, a people loaded with iniquity, a zera, a seed of evil doers. Children that are corrupt. They have forsaken Yahweh, they have provoked the Kadosh, holy one of Israel to anger, and they have fallen backwards. Why should you be beaten any more? Yet you will continue in apostasy, the whole head is sick. Israel's thinking, their head is sick. The rider, like I was using last week, the horse and the rider, the rider had fallen into the seas of chaos. Remember, the horse is full of powerful unbridled energy which is akin to your emotions. But the rider controls that energy and is the thinking man and the horse and rider. Emotion and thought are supposed to be one and that brings forth great synergy, okay? Which is then transformed into... Self-mastery. Okay? So, what we see here... That Israel's thinking... The whole head is sick. The ox knows its owner. The donkey, his master's crib. Yet Israel does not know me. His whole thinking is off. And Yahuwah relates it to what? An animal. Like unto a horse... Energy, power, think how strong an ox is, yet an ox can accept a yoke. Think about a donkey, how wild it is in nature, but it will come into its crib. It's tamed, it's tethered. Israel's thinking the rider had fallen into the seas of chaos and this seas of chaos was everywhere that Israel went from the wilderness period into the promised land and the judges and the kings and the prophets and now they're in Jerusalem and are they still in the seas of chaos, as the northern kingdom and Assyria and the Syrians and Egypt is all around them. They're under siege. They are under chaos. And the prophet is trying to communicate to Israel about the horse and rider, about self-mastery. Think about the insatiable emotions of Israel. They were now being driven on their journey by these insatiable emotions and the energy of the horse. A horse without a rider is Israel. The ox accepts the yoke, the donkey the stool, but Israel is unbridled and loose. This is what the prophet is saying, and this is the problem with you and I in today's Age. This world is brainwashing everybody through emotions and, and video and audio to be unbridled and unloosed in your passions. Whatever you feel, if that's how you feel, do you feel, whatever you believe. Oh, you know, you, know, you don't have to follow natural law. Oh, you can make up your own law. You want to be two or three or one? It's all good. You do you and I'll do me. No, not if you want to gain self-mastery. You cannot operate that way because that is the waters of chaos. And out of chaos will come a new world order. So we do not want to be in the chaos. Let me give you an example. The moment we possess something, track with me here, the moment that we possess something, we get what we want. Our minds, they begin to drift to something new. Well, I've got that now. Well, what else could I have? I I want something new. I want something different. Our minds begin to imagine of something, maybe there's something even better to be had. You get the car. But you drive it for a while and you think, well, maybe there's a better one. Or you get the house. Or you get the, the wife. Or you get the husband. And then you start to when it doesn't satisfy. So you want more. This is what the world is teaching you to do with all this audio-visual stimulation everywhere and lawlessness. There's no bridling of your passions. Nothing satisfies. Now. The more distant, the more unattainable something is, the more you want it. In this world of chaos where the horse and rider have fallen into the sea, the more you must have it, right? Because it's distant. What it is, is an optical illusion. It's an optical illusion, meaning the closer you actually get to it, the less green it becomes, The grass is not always greener on the other side. And once attained, it doesn't satisfy. This is the root of discontent. This is the root of Israel falling off the horse and the horse and rider going into the seas of chaos. And they took this into the promised land and it became the unpromised land and they took it to the kings, the judges, then the kings and the prophets. And this is their predicament in the introduction of Isaiah. Isaiah is the one that is trying to still the waters. Ultimately, Yahusha is the one that would still the waters and walk on water. But Isaiah is is paving the way to calm the waters and make them see that the horse and rider has fallen into the sea. I hope you're tracking with me. There's more. Because this root that I am identifying here is the root of the natural man, Israel. It's the root of the nation of Israel. This is the root that must be plucked from our lives it's the root of all addiction it's the root of all addiction a horse unbridled emotion without a rider thinking man a man of self-mastery and self-control who gets thrown into the seas of chaos and places their own life in jeopardy have any of you been there? I lived my whole life that way before Yahushua Israel was chosen by Yahuwah to come out of Egypt and to go into the promised land from slaves to freedmen. But sooner than they had left the very hardships of the past, than the hardships of the wilderness came sharply into their focus. In fact, what we find as we grow older... There's this thing that we do. Bear with me. Maybe I'm the only one who does it, but I have a feeling that those of you that are growing older, you do the same thing. We tend to reimagine our youth in more colorful terms than it actually was. As we get older, the past becomes a golden time in our memory. We seem to conveniently forget the anxieties of our youth, the insecurities, the wounds that plagued us. Rather, we we kind of color the past golden. We airbrush, airbrush the canvas of our lives. We tend to idealize the past and the future. We tend to idealize what that could be like, too, and then we escape just for a moment, the reality of our discontent. I do that all the time when it comes to my homeland. I think about England, and I think about, oh, and then when I actually get there, I'm like, oh, my goodness. Or I think about the way my family was, or where I grew up, and this golden era. But it wasn't that way at all. It's that distance. I create a fondness for something back there or a fondness of something there. But really, that's because I'm not dealing with my discontent now. This was Israel's problem, and it is our problem until we gain that self-mastery. All of a sudden... To the Israelites, Egypt was no longer about slavery, was it? It was no longer about straw and bricks. It was no, oh no, now they were in the wilderness with manna. Israel was thinking about Egypt in a whole different light. Oh, it's about fish and cucumbers. Oh, and melons. Oh, do you remember those leeks? What about the onions and the garlic? Forget the straw, forget the whip, forget all... No, 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 no. You see what I'm saying? You see what I'm saying? The natural man grows nostalgic for the previous life. That is why the Apostle Paul says, don't go and resurrect the dead man. Let the dead man be dead. Let it go. Give it up. It wasn't a golden era. It wasn't all glossy how you're imagining it. You have a warped mind. You are in the land of discontent. Your rider has fallen off of his horse, and you are now in the realm of chaos, and you're in danger of your very life with that stinking thinking. The natural man grows nostalgic for the previous life. But Yahweh intervenes and he provides manna from heaven. But they compare it unfavorably to the delicious fish and the garlic. They forget the miracles like the parting of the Red Sea. They forget the miracles of the answered prayers. No, they decided that they would forge a golden calf. Then they get punished for their sins and their interest, well, it wanes in it, but only for a little bit. Because they ended up doing the same thing in northern Israel up in Tel Dan. But not one calf, they made two. So their interest only waned for a time. Then they go on complaining and they fall for the lusts of the flesh. They fall for the women under the acacia grove, the spirituality of pagan mysticism, the gold, the glory. They fall for it all, always looking for something new, always looking for something new to follow, something new to fall into. It's the human nature of endless dis. It's plagued us ever since we were in Egypt. Discontent bars you from entering into the promised land. And the promised land is ascended self-mastery. That's the promised land, and the prophets have attained it. So the next generation finally makes it into the promised land. But it's short-lived. The grumbling continues, does it not? Unabated, in fact. Whatever they had, they dreamed of something better. Well, just over the horizon, it's going to be even better. This is a syndrome that is being thrust upon us today in our daily lives. We continually look to others who seem to have it better than we do. Well, their religion is purer. Their wallet is thicker. Their lives are easier. And the world of chaos encourages that kind of debased thinking because then it can keep you in a spirit of lust. We may be living in a perfectly satisfying life of religion, faith, community, but we still feel discontent. What's wrong with us? We may dream of getting out of the rain because we live in Oregon. Oh, we're gonna go for the sunshine. But then when you get into the sunshine, you realize that you've got no water and that your crops don't grow and that it's beating down on you. Always discontent. Well, maybe you dream of permanently traveling to get away from the rain and the dark winters, traveling to some exotic culture, some foreign land,ing maybe even joining some new group, maybe even joining some new religion. We imagine a veritable Nirvana, always over the horizon, that replaces the imperfect world in which we live. This was Israel's problem and it is our problem unless we come to grips with self-mastery. We have to see through the natural man, the illusion of his life to be able to ascend out of the waters of chaotic thought like this. Now, the next object glittering in our path is a test. And that's what you have to think about. Because something's going to manifest itself in your mind and become a glittering object. But it's a test. Just like a golden calf was a test. That gold of the earrings and the jewelry of Israel, which they plundered from Egypt, it was a test. It's a test. Some glittering object that you create in your mind, there's the test. It's been placed there either to seduce you or to assist you. To seduce you or to assist you, depending on how you react to it. Israel was given the prophet Yeshayahu Isaiah. Israel was given its judges. Israel was given its kings. Israel was given these as either what? To seduce them or to assist them. Some of the prophets did seduce them. They were false prophets. Some of the kings did seduce them. They were evil. Some of the kings assisted them. They were good. Some of the prophets assisted them. They were true. Do you see the pattern of which I'm trying to formate in your mind? Because this is all about coming out of the seas of chaos. And most of it is in our own self and our own thinking. And Isaiah is communicating this because it's a siege mentality that he's trying to free Israel from. This siege mentality was all the way from Egypt. They were in a siege in slavery, yet give them a few months and they, were, they forgot all about that. It was all about melons, garlic and everything. They imagined this glorious past, but it wasn't that way. Just like I imagined my glorious past, but the reality of it, it was the mire and the clay and it wasn't that way. Israel was given these kings and prophets and how they navigated, how they responded, their reactions to these tests placed before them determined their outcome in life and the afterlife. In the natural man, or like Isaiah, who was one who had ascended out of the chaos into self-mastery. Isaiah had gained the self-mastery status of a prophet. Ephesians 4.11, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and some teachers. This is the five-fold ministry that we have access to because back in the Torah... In the book of Numbers, in the 11th chapter. Everybody wanted to be a prophet. But Moshe said, no, no, no. Not everybody can have the Spirit come upon them. It came upon Moshe. But remember, they all lusted after it. But no. But now in Yahusha, you have the ability... For self-mastery, because the Holy Spirit has ascended and descended upon you. And therefore, you can have harmony with the horse and the rider, which you couldn't before. You have access to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. This is the five-fold ministry. 1 Peter 1.10. Of which salvations the prophets have required and searched diligently who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you. That's powerful. The prophets who had attained self-mastery have inquired upon you and I because we should all be attaining the self-mastery as the prophets. It's available to us through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Remember, there are not five gifts. That's a fallacy. That's a Christian makeup. Oh, I'd like the gift of tongues. Oh, well, I want the gift of this. No, 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 they're, they're not five gifts. There's one gift it's the Holy Spirit, the Ruach Hakodesh. And the Ruach Hakodesh gives you access to all the operations. There are many operations. There is one gift. And you can operate them all if you power the battery of the Ruach HaKodesh by discipline and self-mastery. It's just like I've used this this um, word picture before. Imagine a battery in the car. It's crude, but that's as if like the Ruach HaKodesh. That battery gives you the ability to put on the electric windows, the electric windshield wipers, the lights on and off. Now, if you choose, because your faith is small, just that it's just going to operate the electric windows, and you're, that's all you're going to do, play with the window switch, fine. Then somebody else may come in there and use that battery to empower all of the electrical capabilities in that machine. That's what the Holy Spirit does. It gives you the power to manifest all of the operations, what's commonly called in the Pentecostal church, the gifts. There's one gift and multiple operations. Don't limit yourself by limiting your capacity to self-mastery. You can become apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Some of you will only strive for one, some for none and some for all. It really depends upon your faith. Don't be an Israel of the past and look back and airbrush your past. And don't be an Israel of the past where you think of golden calves in the future. Instead, realize that what you have to do today is strengthen what is in you the horse and the rider in perfect synergy and with that we must now embrace these opening chapters of the book of isaiah but in reality you and i know that there were no chapters there were no chapter divisions these were put in by men the first five chapters are not chronological let me very be very clear with you on that before we get going The first five chapters are not chronological. What is labeled chapter 6 is the actual first vision of Isaiah. Okay? That's the first vision of Isaiah is chapter 6. It's known as the order of the placement of subjects in Torah does not necessarily follow their sequence. Rashi, the great Jewish sage, understood that from the Torah. This is what he said. It's a quote. The order of the placement of subjects in the Torah does not necessarily follow their sequence. That also applies to the prophets. The Tanakh... Torah, Nevim, Ketuvim, Torah, Law and Prophets, Writings, does not always follow a chronological sequence. We've covered this when we've looked at the Book of the Law and the Book of the Covenant. It's achronological. The Tanakh, the whole of the Old Testament, differentiates between narrative, vision, vision, and mitzvot, commandment giving. Because the mitzvot, the commandments and vision are embedded within the narrative of the Old Testament, they are not always presented in one unbroken unit. So, that's very important. Hopefully you remember that from when we were talking about in the Torah. Okay? So, remember back in the Torah I said... The, the whole chapters of the, temp, of the construction of the tabernacle. That's not chronological because the construction of the tabernacle was a response to the sin of the golden calf. But the construction of the tabernacle appears in the 25th chapter of the Torah in Exodus, Shemot. Well, hang on, if it's the response to the golden calf, well, hang on, the golden calf was in the 32nd chapter. So how could, are you bearing with me? But remember, back in Exodus chapter 16, it tells you, I'll read it to you because I'm I'm looking at stony faces here. I'm turning back to show you now the difference between acronological and... Chronological. Remember, the construction of the tabernacle is in chapter 25, all the way through till what? Chapter 31, 32. And in chapter 32, you have the golden calf. But the construct, the tabernacle was a response to the golden calf how do i know that because i understand the difference between our chronological and chronological and if it was chronological then how do you work this because in exodus chapter 16 verse 34 yahweh commanded moshe so aaron laid it up before the testimony to be kept. And the children of Israel ate manna 40 years until they came into an inhabited land. What? The Torah is not chronological. It's our chronological Because the ark of the testimony here in Exodus chapter 16, did it exist? Anybody? No. It wasn't even invented until Exodus chapter 25, verse 10. So this text right here proves to you that the Torah isn't chronological. And that's just one instance. That's all I need to go into right now, because I've done a whole in-depth teaching on the Torah isn't chronological. Now I'm telling you that the prophets aren't chronological either, necessarily. We already established that in our series of the book of Ezekiel, correct? You see, this is the difference between religion and actual faith, and true teaching of the word is sometimes you have to rub a little bit and go against the grain. Isaiah's vision in chapter 6 is the true beginning. That's his first vision. Chapter 6, we see, is, of course, the first vision of Isaiah. Now, we're going to the second subject I wanted to bring up, and that is the heresy of modern scholarship. Remember how I started this week's teaching off? The vision of Isaiah. And the Hebrew word there is chazon, and it's spelled chet, zayin, vav, nun, sofit. This describes one vision, and Isaiah says that he can declare the end from the beginning. This is one vision. The heresy of modern scholarship has broken Isaiah up into different writers. In fact, they have what's called Deutero-Isaiah, they have Tritio-Isaiah, and they have what's called the Isaianic school where supposedly more than one author of Isaiah is proposed by these modern scholars because there seem to be changes of style and tone and sometimes there is a difference in the language and the way it's styled in the Hebrew. So they have now said that this wasn't written by Isaiah, but it was written by different writers and put into one book. This is the heresy of modern scholarship. But Isaiah tells you it's one vision, and it's also supportive by the Brit Hadashah. The New Testament proves modern scholarship is heresy, because this is what they teach in um, theological schools, and Christian schools, and Christian universities. There is only one author of Isaiah. And that is the prophet himself, Yeshayahu himself. Because you may remember, Yochanan, John, quotes from both the first part of Isaiah and the second part of Isaiah. So these modern scholars, they say, well, there's a first part of Isaiah that was written by this one author, and then there was a second part written, and that's Deutero-Isaiah, second Isaiah, okay? But John the Immerser, he quotes from both the first part and the second part, and he says that this is Isaiah the prophet. These are the parts supposedly written by two or more different Isaiahs. But John is very specific to tell us that it is the same Isaiah. In John chapter 12, verse um, 37, it is written, But though he had done so many miracles before them, yet they did not believe on him. so that that the saying of Yeshayahu the prophet, Isaiah the prophet, might be fulfilled, which he spoke, Lord, Master, who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Master been revealed? Therefore they could not believe, because Isaiah said again, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, so that they should not see with their eyes, nor understand with their heart, to be converted, and I should heal them. Isaiah said these things when he saw the glory and spoke of him. So right here, the New Testament quotes Isaiah by name more than all of the authors combined. And John quotes First and second Isaiah, and attributes it to who? Two writers? No. One writer, Isaiah the prophet. So this debunks modern scholarship and shows you the heresy of modern scholarship when they try and break up Isaiah into different authors. It's a bunch of nonsense, and it goes against the New Testament, and it goes against the vision of Isaiah himself. So it's very easy when you're schooled in the word itself, not religion of men, to debunk modern scholarship. Does that make sense? It's very important, because some people will pick up the book of Isaiah, "Uh, well, is this the proto-Isaiah or the deutero-Isaiah? And you're like, what? It's Isaiah. Oh, no, you didn't know. Oh you didn't know? Oh no 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 Isaiah was written by at least two or three different people and then it was placed into one book. What? Oh yes, 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 yeah I have a degree in it. What? Can I read you the New Testament in chapter twelve, verse thirty seven of the book of John? Would that be good enough? Or could I just maybe read to you that Isaiah had a vision that encompasses the beginning and the end? Because he is the one that said, it is written, that he declares the end from the beginning. Or would you like to go with your modern theology? It's dangerous. But people will fall for it, and a lot of young people that go to universities have fallen for this nonsense. So that's why I bring it up being a little facetious, because I don't think we would fall for that, but most in the universities today has been infiltrated by socialists. And they're not teaching the true faith that was once delivered to the saints. In fact, Isaiah warns us against this type of teaching And he warns us about the teaching of the supposed learned of the day who have perverted his words. It went on then, and it's happening today. They may may even occupy the universities, the highest echelon of society. Because in Matthew chapter 15, verse 7, it is written, Hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you, deutero isaists The Isianic School of Theology. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you, saying, This people draws near to me with their mouth, and they honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. So this applies to modern-day scholarship of the book of Isaiah. Be warned. The first chapter of the book of Isaiah chronologically is chapter 6, which describes Isaiah's calling in the year of King Uzziah's death, which was about 742 before the common era. Four successive kings during whose reigns Isaiah prophesies. Now, one of those kings typifies evil, Ahaz. Another... Typifies good, Hezekiah. The fifth, the son of Hezekiah, Manasseh, goes unmentioned. Of course, Manasseh is the one who slew Isaiah by soaring him asunder. Now, you can read, some of you, it's an interesting read, the Ascension of Isaiah. And in the 11th chapter, we'll talk about the soaring in half of Isaiah in, in the Ascension of Isaiah, chapter 11, in verse 41. But Manasseh was the final straw on account of his sins, reflected by the heart of the nation, the southern kingdom of Judah. They are then exiled and taken Captive by the Babylonians into captivity. He was the final straw that broke the nation's back, and then off they go to captivity. That's what Manasseh was. Manasseh's reign becomes a point of no return. And I just wonder, you know, where are we at where somebody's reign or rulership in the nations becomes a point of no return? Have we come to that point? I wonder. Because at some point, that's what happened in history, and we are destined to repeat it according to Isaiah the prophet himself, who says that the end is declared from his writings and from the beginning, Bereshit. So, we need to be aware of that point of no return. Now, Look at the second verse. Hear, O Shamaim, hear, O heavens, and listen, O earth. For Yahweh has spoken. I have nourished and brought up children, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows his owner, and the donkey his master's crib. But Israel does not know me. My people, they don't understand me. Another way that this could be translated would be lend me your ear, O heavens, and I will speak and hear, O earth. Meaning this life, we are either being drawn downward to our earthly nature or upward into ascended self-mastery. Which are you going to listen to? Because both voices speak within you. It's like the black dog and the white dog, right? One's drawing you down to earthly, sensual, carnal nature, and one is calling you out of that to your higher calling, which is ascended self-mastery horse and rider. Does that make sense? So each and every moment, we have to think about this during our daily lives because each and every moment we are bombarded with information more today than any other generation that has ever existed on the face of the earth. Think about it. More than any other generation that has ever existed on the face of the earth. In fact, I would say in one news cycle, you get more than one person of a previous generation got in a whole year. And then if you go back successive generations, than one person got in a whole lifetime. So think about how much information overload one gets. And then you have to think about the choices of what you make based upon information. How do you process that? Are you drawing closer to earth? Or are you drawing closer to heaven when you process that information? It's all about choices. Heavenly, pure, then peaceable, gentle, easy to be entreated, full of mercy, good fruits, without partiality, and without hypocrisy. Those are the fruits of being drawn heavenly. Let me repeat those fruits of being drawn heavenly. Pure, peaceable, Gentle, easy to be entreated, full of mercy, good fruits, without partiality, and without hypocrisy. Now, conversely, being drawn to earth, realizing the default, if you do nothing, is to be drawn to earth, is earthy, sensual, devilish, where envying and strife are, there is confusion and every foul deed. Which one is it? You see? Do you see the draw? Earthly, heavenly. Isaiah shades the first man was out of earth, earthy. The second man was the master from heaven. Such the earthy man, such also the earthy ones, and such the heavenly man, such also the heavenly ones. And according as we bore the image of the earthy man, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. This is what Isaiah is laying the groundwork for that Paul realizes right here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 49. Is it? Are you here in the earth or are you here in the heavens? Which one? There's all this information. How are you going to process it? We are sons of the living Elohim. The Hebrew word there is Banin, And it's a legal term that denotes vassalship. To define Yahweh's covenant relationship between him and you. If you're sons, if you're children, then you must have that vassalship covenant relationship with the father. Are you being brought up from the earthy to the heavenly as sons? The Hebrew verb there for being brought up is romati, and it means it alludes to being elevated, drawn up in an exalted position, and it's an ascension from the earthy, an ascension from the flesh, An ascension into a special status. Isn't that what we want? That's ascended self-mastery. Now, think about this. The ox is tachor. It's clean. The ox is clean. The ass is not. The ox is clean. The ass and donkey is not. Dual imagery. Now that dual imagery is totally lost in Christianity, is it not? Because they don't differentiate between clean and unclean. It's all—it's all good in Christ. You can eat anything you want. You can worship any days you want. You know, you can do—you know—a car boot sale on Halloween. It's all good as long as it's in the church parking lot. No, you must distinguish between tameh and tahor, what is clean and what is unclean. So what? Yahweh is speaking of through the prophet Isaiah the ox that is clean the ass that is unclean this appear in Isaiah's writings to represent number 1 Israel's natural and ethnic lineages and number 2 the nations filled with exiles or those lineages of the 10 northern tribes that have become common assimilated and unclean because of their paganism that has been a corruption from papal Rome, right? There's a distinction. The ox is those in covenant. The ass is those that were in covenant that now have been exiled into the nations. So Ephraim 10 Israel is what? An ox or an ass? An ass. Unclean, mixed up in the nations that Yahuwah is drawing back to become an ox. In covenant, to become clean. Come out of her, my people. Are you you with me? Do you see how the language is speaking about this? So, in an allegorical sense, Yahuwah sees the covenant relationship with those lineages that were assimilated into the nations. The apostle Paul is the Isaiah, if you will, of the New Testament. He's heralding in the healing to which Isaiah prophesied. Isaiah prophesied it, and the Apostle Paul points you back to show you that it has come about. So Isaiah and Paul are the bookends of Yahushua, who brought it all about. Isaiah laid the foundation, the groundwork, he pointed forward. Yahushua came, he fulfilled. Isaiah, of course, the most quoted prophet of the New Testament. And then the Apostle Paul is the final bookend that says, Yes, look, it has come to pass. Now we must live and ascend out of this earthly Corinthian carnal nature. Get out of the ass and become the ox. Making sense? It's making sense to me. The ox knows, but Israel does not know. Now, there's two different words here to know. Israel does not know. Da'at. But the ox knows. Yada. That's the difference between experimental knowledge, da'at, and intimate covenant relationship knowledge, yada. So. The ox knows, but Israel does not know. Yadah is a term that expresses that covenant relationship. Does not know expresses what? A covenant void relationship. Matthew chapter 7 verse 22 really shows us the difference between these two words. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have we not cast out devils? It sounds like modern scholarship. Sounds like many people in a regular church, right? Haven't we done like amazing miracles? And we've gone to church every day. And, you know, we've done all of these good works. We've cast out devils. We've spoken in tongues. And in thy name we've done all kinds of marvelous deeds. Many wonderful works. And then I will profess unto them, I never, yada, I never knew you in a covenant relationship. You workers of anomia, without Torah. Oh, I experienced you, and you experienced me? That's called experimental knowledge. That's a different Hebrew word. That is to know da'at, meaning like you're playing around with something. You just play around with Jesus on Sunday and maybe three or four times a year. But there's an intimate covenant relationship, which is Yadah. Matthew's chapter 7, verse 22, really explains the difference between experimental knowledge and intimate covenant knowledge, which is connected to Torah observance. Yadah, Yadah. I never yada you. Depart from me, ye workers of anomia, you who are void of the covenant of Torah faithfulness. It's quite a sobering verse, is it not? Remember when I first learned that, I was like, oh my goodness. And it reflects back to Deuteronomy chapter 4 and Deuteronomy chapter 30, where we see. I call heaven and earth to witness against you this day, that ye shall soon utterly perish from off the land whereunto ye go over the Jordan to possess it. Ye shall not prolong your days upon it, but shall be utterly destroyed. And Yahweh shall scatter you among the nations." And in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19, it is written, I call heaven and earth to record this day against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, ascend out of the earthly. Gain self-mastery. The rider and the horse cannot fall into the chaos. You must... See that there is a choice. Life and death. Blessing and cursing. cursing. Therefore choose life that you may live. This is what Isaiah is bringing forward in this book. He and the Apostle Paul are bookends to Yahushua. And we have to have this understanding before we can delve in. We have to understand that chapter 6 is the first vision of Isaiah. We have to understand the heresy of modern scholarship, that there isn't a first, second, third, and fourth Isaiah. There is one Isaiah. There is one prophet who proclaimed the good news that was to come, that is Yahushua, and that we have got to get the horse and rider synergy perfect so that we do not have our ear inclined to the earth that we have our ear inclined to the heavens because otherwise our emotions and our thinking in this bombarded informational age will fall into chaos and we will drown in our sins and iniquities from thinking, stinking, stinking, thinking because the horse and the rider are not in synergy. And that's how so many beloved brethren have become lost and some have drowned and some have perished. It's very sobering. So pray for one another. Love one another. Have compassion on one another. And have your ear bent toward heaven when you listen to others. Think the best of one another. Not the worst. And flee from evildoers and those that embrace the chaos. Hear heaven and lend me your ear, earth. It's ascended self-mastery. The interpretation enables you to live closer to heaven than to earth the application is that you are able to speak softly into the ear of heaven and loudly to the earth. And the pattern is daily. Spend time mastering your thoughts, directing their path upward and away from the earth. Remember, He gave some to be apostles, some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors, and some teachers. What do you want? Turn your ear to what you want. Ascended self-mastery is the battery that operates the whole gift. Isaiah prophesied the gift. Yahushua brought the gift and the Apostle Paul drives home that you can attain it. The two bookends bring forth the amazing wonder that is our salvation. These are not gifts, but operations of the one gift, which is the Ruach HaKodesh. Do not let your battery run on an earthy current, but direct your focus with one another in your prayers and in your thinking heavenly. Next week, we'll get into Isaiah chapter 1, and I will see if I can navigate through the chat and see if I've got any of you. All right, I hope you track with me there. I know I was a little, you know, I'm still a little rusty all this time off and getting back getting back here behind the old pulpit. So, um, all right, give me a second here. Give me a second. If you have a question for me, then please um, put at Torah to the tribes and I should be able to see you redlining and it looks like... Oh, I'm logged out. Give me a moment here. We are live, so... Ah. totally logged out. Chat amongst yourselves while I navigate navigate getting in. You see, I haven't been in the system for so many weeks. I'm in, I think. Oh, I see where you're showing me your phone because I could have accessed it off your phone. Of course I could, but it's all right. I'm in now. I'm coming back. I'm coming back, just getting my spectacles. Thank you for your patience there, everybody. All right. Okay. If you have a question in the chat, pop it up. If not, then we'll just close it out for the week and hope to see you next weekend at the um, chapter one of the book of Isaiah, Baruch Hashem, Yahuwah. We have any questions, anybody on Torah to the tribes fellowship there? Any questions in studio? Doesn't look like it unless I'm not navigating the chat properly, which possible is possible. Questions, comments at all? Now is your opportunity. Maybe you all jumped because you were impatient at me navigating, navigating, trying to navigate through all of this technology. All right, let's see. Oh, yeah. Judy Brennan, Shabbat Shalom. Wow, another preacher was taking... Was talking about the same thing today, about Manasseh slicing Isaiah in half, and about everyone has their lot, some prophets and some helpers. Well, there you go. We have to press into the higher calling. Thank you, Chris De La Rosa. Matthew, great message. Um, appreciate that. Baruch Hashem, Yahweh, Emissary of Elohim, Shabbat Shalom. Baruch Hashem, Yahuwah. Tennessee Rambler, Shalom from Tennessee. Emissary of Elohim, I love you putting up some scripture there. Yahuwah, thus they shall put my name upon the children of Israel, and I myself shall barak them, Bashem Yahusha Hamashiach. So be it. Amen. And you've got obviously a nice Hebrew keyboard on your computer. Baruch Hashem, Yahuwah. All right. Well, brethren, I think that wraps it up. You guys are not um, putting up a bunch of red line stuff. So I am going to bounce until next Shabbat. Thank you for tuning in, being patient, and working through this introduction, even though it was a little longer than I had hoped We will delve into chapter one next week. You can always visit us at TorahToTheTribes.com forward slash connect or forward slash teachings. And of course, here on the YouTube Torah Ministry channel, there are ample, ample videos, of course, for you to look, study and learn more. Blessings and Shabbat Shalom.